And it's the uh, Jim Eskimen podcast on this uh, late September day. This is going to be a short podcast today, at least uh, this, this section, the, the heart-to-heart, the, um, the call to appeal, the, um, um, the, the plea for help. Anyway, I uh, wanted to just let you guys know that, uh, first of all, I appreciate you very much. Thank you for listening. I don't know what circumstances you listen to this podcast in. Maybe you're like me and you kind of plop in a podcast. You know, plop it in anywhere, but you play a podcast while you're driving somewhere and you're just tired of, of not hearing voices or tired of hearing the voices in your head tell you what a, what a crappy person you are, uh, which isn't true. That's a complete lie. Last night, my wife and I went to see, Tamara and I went to see uh, Eight Days a Week, the new Beatles documentary that my friend and yours, Ron Howard, directed. You know, he directed it sort of like Martin Scorsese did the George Harrison documentary. Anyway, didn't know really too much what to expect. You always feel like, I don't know, if you're like me, you feel like, well, I know this story. It's the Beatles and it's cool. And then you then you forget. You spend five or six minutes with them uh, in their in their heyday, in their young touring years, and the exuberance and just the sweetness and the high toned, high spirited creativity of those lads uh, is just so delightful to be a part of. And the movie really puts you in that environment more than any other uh, filmed experience of the Beatles that I've ever seen. I mean, it's always very infectious, but this one takes great care to to make you understand, you know, an aspect of their story and what it must have been like to tour and have, wherever you went in the world, there would be, you know, 30 or 40,000 people shrieking at the top of their lungs and trying to claw their way <laughs> to get at you because they loved you so much. Now, that's an experience that very few people have had and uh, it's still mind-blowing. I still can't look at that phenomenon still 50 years later or more and, and go, oh, well, that's because of blank. You know, I, it's, it is something that really defies total explanation for me. And I think even the Beatles are still, the ones that are still around and cognizant are, are still going, I don't know. I don't know. What was that? What, what the hell was that? And uh, it's marvelous. I can imagine being, they show a lot of, of uh, footage of very uh, stressed out young girls that are just going through the most you know, serious kind of emotional trauma over the fact that their favorite band is in the vicinity. And it just makes you laugh because, you know, particularly if you've ever raised kids, you know that they just get, you know, overwrought and hysterical and, and crying and sweaty and red-faced over, you know, nothing sometimes. It's just part of being a, a kid growing up. And when you see just a stadium load of them, I don't know, for me it just made me laugh so loud that Tamara had to tell me to quiet down in the theater, which is, you know, kind of rare. Anyway, I recommend it highly eight days a week. It'll, I just smiled through the whole thing. If you want a movie that just makes you smile and tap your feet and have, you know, cognitions about life, uh, go and see eight days a week. Uh, it's... We saw it in a little art house theater, and I, I imagine it was co-produced by Hulu, so maybe it'll be streaming soon. But there's nothing like seeing it with great sound and, and in a room full of people. We were all uh, having a good time. It's one of those movies where at the end of it, everybody sticks around. They applaud uh, at the end, and they stuck around because they had a special feature, which was a uh, digitally remastered, which that sounds very important, doesn't it? It's been digitally remastered. The um, The last concert they did at Shea Stadium, which only lasts a half an hour. 
they're part of it. There must have been other opening acts long lost in the mists of history. But uh, the Shea Stadium concert, they came in and they did a half an hour and they jumped in a station wagon right on the field and drove off and people chased them. <laughs> it still makes me laugh. It's it's like such a an unwieldy expression of love and, and intense admiration. It's just not workable, you know. You cannot have every every person under the age of 25 screamingly in love with you on the planet. It just doesn't work. Uh, and, and indeed, they had to stop. I mean, that's kind of the story. It's like, why... Why did they go into this second phase or third phase of their career where they went into the studio? They went for their own protection and so that they could do some work and so that they could be heard and hear each other. Perfectly reasonable. Anyway, it's one of those stories you just... I I never get tired of hearing it. And I'm very grateful to Ron Howard for taking on this project because he's also emphasized something that I didn't know about, really, which was that uh, the Beatles, of course, in the 60s, uh, would not play to a segregated audience in the South, even though that was kind of the, the the law, the de facto law of the land. You know, you had segregated concerts, segregated drinking fountains, bathrooms, and everything else, restaurants, buses. And they they helped to bust that open in a big way by just going, oh, that doesn't make any sense to us. You know, and they're so light and so high-toned and high-spirited that it had a mammoth effect. And so they have a couple of interviews about that aspect of things and the fact that uh, African-Americans, too, loved the Beatles songs as well. They interviewed Whoopi Goldberg and another lady. And and that, particularly in this day and age, when uh, suddenly we seem to have forgotten all those lessons, not that there's segregation, but there's a tremendous amount of stress that is being fomented, um, stress being created, really, between the races, not by the nice people of America, but by other people who God knows what their purpose is, but, uh, you know, let's just give it a rest, folks. Everybody's a human being. Anyway, that aspect of the Beatles story, I hadn't thought about it in a while. And uh, if I ever was cognizant of it, they, that makes that very plainly. And it's, you know, it's just like a nice, calming message. The Beatles music was a calming influence on the planet. It still is. We hear it every day. It's probably, a, it probably there's at least one or two or maybe more Beatles songs playing I would say, on the planet, wouldn't you? Every minute of the day. I, I don't think it stops. I, I, would, I would venture to guess that there's probably a Beatles song going through the mind of a human being every minute of the day uh, because that's the great gift that they uh, gave us. And uh, in thanks, we all screamed at them. Anyway, rush out and see it. I was very inspired by it. Um, it's just charming in ways that I can't even describe. And, of course, beautifully put together, beautifully shot well, the parts that are shot, the parts that are not archival are beautifully shot, and uh, the, the documentary aspects of it are really, really well put together. I mean, I don't know where you start with a thing like that as far as editing. Holy smoke. But maybe Alec Baldwin on his podcast will interview some of the people responsible for the great documentary Eight Days a Week. If you haven't heard his show, um, here's the thing. It's a great, great show. Anyway, um, that's all I had to say. Uh, we, I'm planning to do another Jim Pression show, and I had even scheduled one and now realize I can't do that date, so we're going to backpedal. But uh, I am putting together a live show very, very soon, and those of you in the Los Angeles area will be able to see it. I performed, as you may know, in Fargo this year, also in Las Vegas. Uh, my first ever Las Vegas performance was this year, so I'm going to be rolling out a lot more Jim Pressions. Also on my... Um, 
YouTube channel, if you haven't been there lately, uh, and uh, please go there and, and subscribe. It's free. You can see this latest series of interviews I've been doing with celebrities. Uh, it's my live celebrity podcast, uh, which, of course, is me doing the voice of the celebrity. And it's a very, uh, very clever and technically difficult uh, little illusion to pull off. And if you can figure out how I do it, uh, my hat's off to you. Uh, anyway, that's on my YouTube channel. I, uh, last week, I interviewed Sir Ian McKellen, and I've done Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro, Tommy Lee Jones. And uh, I'm going to keep doing these because uh, people, the, the few people that are watching it seem to really like it a lot. Sufyan in India, I hope you like it. Uh, okay, here's a, here's a little something for you. Welcome to Venture World, the show about entrepreneurs, for entrepreneurs, forward thinkers, people that are making a difference in the society with new and adventurous ideas and making money. And with us today, we have a real forward thinker. Please welcome Melvin Dunfries. Melvin, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, Melvin, uh, you have a very unique uh, business mm -hmm. right now. And uh, why don't you tell us the name of it? Well, you know, I, I've worked in a lot of different industries. I've been up and down uh, the social ladder so many times. I mean, I know every every rung. You. I'm a survivor. I'm a builder. I'm always, I keep a positive mental attitude. That's a big part of it. And I'm always looking ways to give back. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm the son of immigrants. Uh, you know, this country gave a lot to us. And so I'm looking for a way to give back, too. And speaking of the end of the day, your company, your idea takes place at the end of the end day. End of the day productions. Yeah, the end of the day productions is comes in. We, we discover that there's a huge niche right now, uh, you know, even though the economy kind of has tanked, the wealthy people are still having big, big galas or big affairs, big parties. Uh, and of course, you know, they're family people. So they're having children's parties. We discovered a niche, uh, my partner, Simon and I, we discovered a niche where, uh, you know, people don't like uh, certain things about the children's party mm -hmm. arena. I mean, there's all kinds of viable business models that come out of that. We looked at all of them. We looked at, you know, party setup. We looked at uh, party entertaining and planning and, and uh, bands right. and, and kids' toys and all this kind of stuff. And we found there was a neglected area, which was the cleanup. Uh, nobody likes to clean up after a kid's party. And that's where uh, end-of-the-day entertainment really, really uh, picks up. Well, that, it certainly does. No one likes to clean up after a child's party, whether it's big or small. Tell us what makes your company different. No, what, it's, much, it's, a, it's a whole operation. It's a revolutionary new idea. It's really resetting the whole kids' party cleanup area, and uh, it's it's really kids' party cleanup 2.0. And we are completely organic. We are 100% low impact on the environment and well, and uh, non-toxic as well. Uh -huh. And uh, and I think, you know, we provide a service that is very, very thorough. And well, that, that is the important thing to people throwing these parties is that every little bit of cake uh, is removed. And there's no jam smeared on any chairs or any kind of leftover refuse of any kind, uh, cups or napkins or Well, Melvin, uh, let me interrupt because I know I, I've read your pamphlets, but mm -hmm. I know our listeners are dying to know how, what, is, what makes you unique. Well, how do you, you do it? If you go to our website, and I hope everyone does go to uh, com. Uh, you will see that we employ a, a kind of a, uh, it's an interesting blend. It's a hybrid between human and animal technicians that handle uh, the total eradication of any kind of leftover. We're in and out really super fast. And that's that's what people want, and that they'll pay the extra dime for it, and 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 they're always very very pleased. We do ask that people that aren't present in the house 
when we do the cleanup, that we ask them, you know, please let us do our work in peace. Uh, you don't want to be bothered by it. We don't want to have to answer a lot of questions. Uh-huh. And uh, right. it's over very, very quickly and completely, totally clean. Well, Melvin, what are the hybrids called? We, as I say, we have human technicians, uh, but the actual cleaning is done by what we call detergent mammals. They uh, are released, and they know exactly what to do. They're, it's built into their DNA. They are absolutely trained uh, within a, a hair's breadth uh, to do exactly all the cleanup that is needed and to just uh, get at the end of the day, get back into their transportation cubicle and load it back onto the van, and then we're back into the city. Now, how can you guarantee that these mammals will, will perform? Uh, it's, like I say, it's genetically, they're, they're genetically predisposed uh, to, uh, to make order, let's say, to consume uh, something that doesn't belong there anymore. You know, typically after a kid's party, you've been to them, there's little Dixie cups, they're all mashed up, they've got a little bit of Kool-Aid at the bottom of them, there's maybe some plastic plates mm-hmm. that have crumbs, uh, cake frosting, this sort of thing, maybe there's a pinata. There are a little bit of scattered things that the kids did not pick up, and just the ordinary drinks and, and adult refuse right. that might be around, right. napkins, tablecloths, all these things. These were all able to be consumed by our detergent mammals all right. and very, very rapidly. Now, Melvin, I don't want to be uh, a crepe hanger here, mm-hmm. but I have gone to your website, and mm-hmm. I do encourage people to go. Yeah, uh, uh, Right. Now, you do have pictures up there. You do have some testimonials. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do notice that there are some images of the detergent mammals. To be honest, they seem rather uh, blurry. Uh, I, they're very, well, they're moving very quickly. Uh, these are mammals that are bred especially uh, for this purpose uh, by a friend of mine out in on Long Island. And uh, so believe me, they, they are top of the line. We've looked at all kinds of ways to do this, and this is this is the best way and the most uh, cost-effective. All right. Now, what do you say to some of the reviews mm-hmm. which have been posted yeah. that say these detergent mammals are really nothing more than rats? Uh, you know that's just uh, that's just disparagement. Uh, nothing more than rats. These are not just well. You know they are rat-like. I'll say that this breed of rodent is. Uh, you know it's not really fair to call it a rat because okay. a, I think a rat is a very pejorative kind of term that brings up you know tenements and uh, you know sleazy uh, diners and, and mm-hmm. things like that and sewers. Our rats. Now when I say rats, All in right. that case. I did call them rats, but it's more properly detergent mammals, and uh, they are the kind of creature that uh, you, if you saw it, you would not say, hey, there's a rat. You know, when you see it at a party doing its job with this little windbreaker on, you see that it is it's a busy, it is a thriving, it is like watching a Clydesdale horse carry a big, uh, you know, carriage load of, of beer kegs somewhere. This is a working animal. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't go to SeaWorld and say, look at that slimy seal with the ball. You know, you say, oh, look. Look at that performing seal. I admire it so much. Right. Can I take my picture with it? Okay. Now, mm-hmm. uh, let's say we have a party of about uh, 20 children. Mm-hmm. That perhaps Typical. Could, yeah. that perhaps that could be average. That could average out to maybe uh, 30 adults. Mm-hmm. Uh, party's over. Right. You've... Everyone has to please just vacate the area and close the drapes. Our van pulls up. We, re- we take out the cages. We have maybe for a party that size, I would recommend about 150 rats. I said it again. I don't. I'm just because you got my me thinking this way. I'd say for a party that size, we release about 150 detergent mammals, and I think in about 20 minutes time that the backyard will be completely stripped of refuse. The, uh, that's the tablecloths, napkins, cups, uh, of course, any food stuff, anything like that. Uh, and now we do ask that if there are things that people want preserved, of course, that they move them indoors before they sequester themselves. Right. And so that'll have to be taken care of. But All right. and then. 
We play the siren and all the uh, detergent mammals climb back in. And we, sometimes we have to go and get them, but we have another kind of an incentive program for them so that draws them back into the cage. We load them back on the van and we're out. And people have, they don't even really know what's happened. All I know is they have a beautiful, clean backyard and no more problem with uh, refuse from kids' party. Well, now, Melvin, mm. uh, I know that you did receive some complaints from the uh, Fish and Game Department here we in the did, Tri-State We did, area. and we made an adjustment. We now have all the animals uh, listed as laboratory animals. To them, you know, on paper, it's a big experiment. Mm-hmm. To us, it's a livelihood, and it's also a way to get these animals working. Animals, uh, particularly small mammals, they, they, they want to help. You know, like a performing bird at the zoo, he wants to ring that little bell. He, the little cockatoo wants to climb up that ladder and, and turn his head on his side. Uh, we find Anyone working with animals knows this. And and that's what we found to be true mm-hmm. with with our uh, detergent mammals. Now I know that you have a warehouse uh, mm-hmm. in uh, Flushing Meadow, yeah. and uh, there is where all the detergent mammals are kept. How many of them do you have there? We have uh, twenty two thousand right now because we're trying to expand, and and they're uh, expanding and mating, and uh, and uh, you know we we got a lot more than than last summer. Let me tell you. Uh-huh. And have you had any luck with investors? We're taking a lot of people on tour right now, and uh, it's it's interesting. You know, a lot of some people aren't as forward thinking as we wish they were, mm-hmm. and uh, well, yeah, this is an incredible opportunity for profit. And when they talk to some of the people who are very very happy with the way their yards look, we had one fellow complain because all of his uh, foliage was demolished. He had apparently some some very nice flower beds, and we didn't we didn't recognize. Normally, what we would do is either have him dig those up for the party, or we would cover them with a kind of a noxious tarp that would keep the detergent mammals off of those flowers. But, you know, we're still working out some of the fine points, but right. I think once we get this all streamlined, investors are going to, well, I mean, they're going to rush to us like, like uh, rats to a sinking ship. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, leave a comment below. Uh, subscribe if you haven't subscribed to the uh, Jim Eskimen podcast. Also, go to my YouTube channel. Watch some of the uh, live celebrity podcasts Uh, where I uh, try the patience of celebrities. Anyway, uh, it's great uh, to speak to you. I'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks to Jeff Levin for the music, and thanks to Tate Rupert for that improv. Okay, I'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.